Good morning, folks. My name is Martin Shields. I'm the Chief Wealth Advisor at Boucher Financial Group, and I'm going to be your host today for Let's Talk Money. It's great to be here with you on this absolutely gorgeous, sunny morning here. Uh, yesterday we had some snow, but today it's all sun, bluebird sky, so hopefully you can get out and enjoy it. But don't worry, winter's not leaving us yet. We've got, got the nor'eastern coming on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, so we've got some snow coming. But it's great to be here with you today to answer any questions you may have. I'm giving uh, my colleague Steve Boucher a well-deserved break. He's went to the Bruins game with his grandkids yesterday. So it's great to be here with you to answer any questions you may have. And you can reach me with those questions at 800-825-5949. That's 800-825-5949. And today, very fortunate to have my colleague, Paolo LaPietro, joining. Paolo is a CFP, he's a wealth advisor, and he's our portfolio strategist. So he's a wealth of knowledge. Paolo, as always, great to have you and to do the show with you. Thanks, Marty. It's a pleasure to be on this morning. You know, it, it really does pain my ears, though, when you tell that we're going to have a Northeastern on, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I put the snowplow away. I took the bathing suit out of the dresser. I was I was ready for spring, Marty. So this is uh this is no bueno for me. Yes. Yeah, so with all your listeners, you've got two contrasting views here. I'm still excited about snow. My view on this is until March 21st, when spring comes, let it snow. We'll get some good spring skiing in. I just went cross country skiing uh, on Friday. I mean, this this is still winter time now. When spring comes, which is March 21st. Then we could go to 65 degree weather. So that, how does that sound, Paulo? Uh, I'm gonna have to say no, no deal on that. I'm ready for 60 degrees now. Uh, golf clubs out, sunglasses on. No more snow for me, Marty. Okay, okay. Well, we'll see what happens here. You know, we had we had our 50s and 60s in January and February, so you knew that we weren't gonna get uh, out of this winter without some decent snow, and that's what we're getting now. But we're not here to talk about weather, are we? We're here to talk about finances and financial planning. And, you know, we're here to answer your questions. So give us a call. You can reach us at 800-825-5949. Again, that's 800-825-5949. And one thing we always say is there is no dumb or silly question except for the one you don't ask. And you may be doing your fellow listener a favor by asking that question, and they have it as well. So give us a call and we can chat. And, you know, we really talk about this. It's, it's very important to us as a firm. When we meet with our clients, we want to meet with, if it's a married couple, we want to meet with both spouses. And quite often, uh, you know, there could be one spouse who takes the lead, uh, whether it's wife or husband or whatever the case may be. Um, but in general, we want these conversations to be with both spouses. And in those meetings, we really, really try to talk at a level that we're, we don't want to talk over people. We want to talk with our clients and explain it at a level they feel comfortable with and <clears throat> really encourage those questions, right? That's that's how they're going to understand the finances. And, you know, we see this all the time that, you know, there is somebody that, uh, you know, of that couple that is the lead on making decisions and, you know, something could happen to them. And that's uh, it, for many reasons why many people start working with us is, you know, as they get older, they want to focus on living their life and and not being either emotionally drained with managing the portfolios and making these decisions or just realizing that they're not, uh, you know, making these decisions and implementing them properly. But the other element is that if something were to happen to them, uh, you know, the remaining spouse, uh, if 
they're not uh, in a good situation or working with a firm like ours, they're they're really struggling. And we see that with prospective clients that come in where one spouse dies and they're kind of doing this on their own. And then, you know, the, the remaining spouse is really struggling because not only are they dealing with the emotional element of just losing a spouse, now they're also uh, trying to manage their finances for the first time. And, you know, that could be challenging. I'm sure you see that, Paulo, in different discussions that you have with clients, right? Uh, absolutely. And, and I couldn't agree more with you, Marty. You know, it, it's always great when, when you have both spouses in the meeting. So, you know, all information that's being discussed, we all could be on the same page. Uh, I, I really feel like that's the, the best way to, to approach any financial situation. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, too, is we, since COVID and the pandemic, you know, we do a lot of meetings with Zoom and whatever, and we have clients in 25 states and in two countries. So clients around the world and, you know, Zoom works great. But I tell you, there's nothing that replaces meeting in person. And we just uh, met with some clients, a couple, <clears throat> they're retiring. And, you know, we've known the family for a while and, and know this uh, couple for a while. And <clears throat> but we really haven't met with them in person in quite some time. And just to have that meeting and they commented on it too, what, how valuable that is to be <clears throat> with them in the room and uh, be able to have those discussions. And, you know, we talk about with our clients, the importance of communication and, you know, that communication can come in a lot of different ways. It could be emails or phone calls, it can be zoom meetings. Uh, you know, we have webinars, we have our state economy presentation that, you know, we, we have a, a dinner what we had one in Troy, one in Saratoga Springs, where we outline our thoughts uh, on the markets and the economy. But at the end of the day, getting together in person is so valuable. And, um, you know, that, that those times to be able to sit down and talk and, you know, you, you talk about the analytical elements of, of our, working with our clients. So that's, you know, the financial planning, it's the investment management, but it's the emotional elements that are as important. And sometimes it takes getting in person. And this is what happened in this discussion, which is, you know, in that meeting, we started kind of diving into a little bit of, uh, you know, what was the emotion of um, from this couple when they were retiring. And, you know, trying to, you know, talk about some of the challenges they may face in retirement because, listen, retirement is fantastic. Uh, you know, if you have these situations where, you know, you're sold a business or, you know, you have a situation that allows you to retire, that that's great. I've never met anybody who hasn't been happy about retiring. But I think it's important to appreciate there there's some challenges, right? And we've talked about this, that there's some emotional challenges to retiring that many people don't uh, really you know, ex they don't know what to expect, right? And they think maybe they're all alone and experiencing those challenges. And that's where we come in to say, no, you're not. You know, it, this is what many people face as they go from having a paycheck, uh, you know, having a job that they had for 35, 40 years. Um, and that's their sense of identity. And, you know, so that's, it's a change. And, you know, that's where we come in to give guidance as to what does that look like for you in retirement? You know, what are your thoughts and, and what, what's going to be, you know, things that you do? And, oh, by the way, you know, this money that you've worked so hard for, don't be afraid to spend it, right? Because many people, that's a challenge for them is this concept that they can spend that money. I'm sure you see the same thing in, in some of the conversations you have, uh, Paolo, with clients. Absolutely. It, it, it's a big change. You know, and you, you made a great point, Marty, right? You, you, you're so used to having... Uh, paychecks coming in and then having that big change come to retirement can, can be, uh, you know, kind of a psychological change there. And, and the other big element is, is the time change, right? The, the last 30, 40 years, you, 
you're working, you know, five days a week, 40 hours a week. And, and now you have so much time on your hands and, and that truly comes as a blessing, but sometimes it's a tough, you know, change to, to get used to and, and how to fill up that time. So, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. Again, having those in-person meetings uh, really allows, uh, at least I feel, to connect more and, and really discuss some of those, some of those, uh, you know, concerns or you know, hurdles because those are just as important as, you know, making sure we have the correct cash flow set up and the correct distributions and the correct allocations. You also want to connect on on the emotional level as well on how how to prepare for retirement and making sure that you're going to set up uh, for your right retirement. Yeah. I mean, our tagline is health, wealth for life. And so, uh, you know, the wealth piece is important. And, you know, for the most part, our clients are our clients because they've been successful in managing their spending and accumulating assets and and being in a good spot like that. But their health, you know, we we say if you don't have your health, wealth doesn't matter. And, you know, it it is the, the health of physical health. And, you know, we talk about the importance with our clients of, of maintaining their physical health, but it's also mental health and making sure that they're in a good spot from a mental perspective. And, you know, when you retire, there can be a lot of anxiety that goes along with it. And certainly as you get older, you know, we see this with our clients that they, they can, you can get anxious and, you know, things can seem scary or out of your control. And, you know, that's where those conversations are, are so important, which is when you sit down and you start walking clients through either their financial plan and or, what we're doing with the portfolios to mitigate risk that we see out there. Uh, you, you see it change, their mindset change, right? They, they come into a meeting and you can tell that they're concerned and you listen to their thoughts and concerns and questions. But in general, after most meetings, whether it be Zoom or in person or even a phone call, you know, after that discussion is going through and we kind of give them con- uh, the guidance as to, again, how we're handling everything, 99% of the time, it's a, it's a different person that leaves that room. And, and, you know, to me, we talk about it, it's the peace of mind, the, the level of confidence that they're in a good spot, that just that's where our value comes in. That's where I love, you know, my job and, and you know, working with clients like this. Uh, and, you know, I think as a firm, we do a great job of, of having those meetings and really kind of getting to the bottom of what the concerns are. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, dollar concerns or tax concerns. Uh, but other times it's more emotional or psychological or a little bit more nuanced uh, that it requires uh, a little bit more of a deeper conversation where, uh, you know, we got to be good listeners and we got to be good, uh, you know, questioners. We got to ask the right questions. Uh, so, you know, that's to me, again, the, the, you know, I always say when people are looking at this field, you know, my daughter's in a uh, freshman at the University of Vermont and, you know, we talk to younger people, whether in high school or college, or even people, you know, looking at uh, changing careers. And, you know, a big part of our work that we do is analytical. You have to be good at math. You got to know numbers and finance. Uh, but, you know, I think you have to be, uh, you know, an element of a counselor. You got to be able to, you know, have those conversations, be a good listener. And I always say this too, you got to be an educator. Uh, you know, we, we are a, a big role of what we do, whether it be prospective clients or even all of our clients, is we educate them uh, as to what it means to be a good investor. So, uh, you know, I, again, Paul, I share your thoughts on that. I mean, I, I think you're really good. I always think Paul is great at, um, you know, I think on, on the investment side in particular, but even the financial planning side in those conversations that I'm in, in those meetings with you, Paul, I, I just love to hear you, you share those thoughts because you do a great job with it. 
Yeah, thank you, Marty. I, I, again, I, I think you're you're right on the right on the money with it. You need to be a thinker. You need to be analytical. You need to be a communicator. Uh, you know, communication is key. Transparency is key. I know those are huge fundamentals for us here at the firm, and I think that resonates well with our clients. When, yeah. when you're on the same page with somebody and, and you understand where somebody's coming from and, and you could also hear, you know, concerns that come up for, for a client and, and address them properly, I feel like those are the foundational pieces that create trust. And this is a industry where trust is paramount. So I, I think it's, you know, you, you need to have many skills in this, in this industry. Again, analytical is definitely one of them, but I think, you know, communication is also a very big piece. Yeah, great conversation. Really, uh, as I as we talk about this, you know, I think about how all of our colleagues. I mean, we have 19 professionals at the firm, and you know, our advisors, but even our client service people. I mean, they our client service team is just amazing, and I think they're as good as we are. Is is you know, kind of having these conversations. We always talk about sometimes their relationship and their conversations with our clients are as important as what we have. Uh, with our clients from a financial planning and investment perspective, because you know our client service team is is who our clients interface when they need things done with their accounts. And again, it's about getting things done and getting done accurately and properly, whether it be you know withholding taxes or distributions, required minimum distributions. You know those the mechanics of your finances. Uh, it's so important, and and having somebody you know you're not calling a one eight hundred number, you're calling into our team. You know, you'll always when you call in, you always get somebody picking up the phone and, you know, you they know your situation and uh, they get to know you personally. And and that is uh, just so valuable uh, to us and our clients. But let's let's take a little pivot here and um, let's go ahead and talk about the markets. Certainly interesting week in the markets. Uh, it had a couple of uh, big news headlines that uh, brought this uh the markets down this year now we're still positive about a half a percentage point on the s p 500 uh and about eight and a half percent on the nasdaq but uh certainly not a, a great week in the markets and let's chat a little bit about that and i'll open up the phone lines if you have any questions you can give us a call at 800-825-5949 again that's 800-825-5949 so it talked about the uh, decline in the market. Uh, the S&P was down about 5% for the week. Uh, the NASDAQ was down, NASDAQ 100 was down around 4%. Uh, so really, you, know, you start off Wednesday with the uh, Federal Reserve Jay Powell um, in his testimony to Congress. And really, there's really, from my perspective, and Powell, you can chime in, but nothing that he said was that different than what they've been saying all along, which is, you know, they're going to be looking at the data. It's going to be data dependent, but relatively speaking, he, I think the statement was made, you know, rates are going to go higher for longer and faster. And, you know, it's just Jay Powell is not going to have a situation where, you know, you do have inflation lower than it was at 9.1% this summer. You know, it's more in the 6% range, but you got a lot of factors that really show that it's still very strong and not going to relent real quickly. So again, Jay Powell is, even if you agree or disagree, the fact of the matter is, uh, I don't think he's gonna um, certainly pivot to uh, lowering rates. Uh, I don't think he's, he may pause, 
but there was a, a situation that occurred on Friday, and we'll get into that, where maybe instead of raising rates by 50 basis points in the next meeting, uh, it might be 25 basis points. But that messaging, you know, I think the market is just whole, has been hopeful that, you know, the Fed won't be as aggressive. And I think his statements on Wednesday kind of showed the market that that's not the case. You know, the Fed is going to be pretty strong at uh, responding to the higher inflation data and that they're not going to back down from it. Again, uh, Paul, I'll let you ch chime in and share your thoughts. You're always very insightful. Yeah, you know, interesting week. You know, we start off, like you said, on Wednesday, Jay Powell said, you know, rates need to be higher for longer. And it made sense when we kind of digest the data that we had for the last few weeks. We had, uh, you know, relatively hot CPI report last month, coupled with the PPI report. We know labor market is still strong. So it made sense. And we were hoping for, you know, being in the camp of about 25 basis points for the Fed meeting coming up. It seemed like consensus at that point was going to be 50 basis points. And uh, then we go ahead and we get jobless claims and job numbers on Thursday and Friday. And, you know, some, some mixed bag data. You know, the, the, the labor market is still incredibly strong, but we did see an uptick in labor force participation, which is a good sign. So a slight uptick in unemployment get up to around 3.8%. Uh, but, you know, the key factor here was slowing wage growth. So, you know, again, mixed data, but then we had, you know, the the information come out with SVB Bank, and now it seems like, you know, 25 basis points is most likely back on the table. So, you know, it's interesting to see where the Fed goes with this, but, you know, it, it, it's not surprising that Jay Powell on Wednesday didn't give us any real major pivot. You know, the, the, the thought process is still the same, that inflation is well above their 2% target, and they need to use the tools that are available to them to combat that. So nothing new on that side, Marty. Yeah. Let's see. You mentioned SVB Bank. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. So that is Silicon Valley Bank, a bank that I never heard about before. I'm sure most people did. But it was the 16th largest bank in the U.S., really a California-based bank. And it's been around since the 80s. Or actually very well highly thought of bank, especially in Silicon Valley. And on Friday afternoon, kind of out of the blue, uh, we find out the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, took over the bank uh, because they were concerned about the assets of the bank. And basically, there was a run on those assets. And it happened so quickly. And, you know, let's kind of dig into that a little bit because that leads into the next question is that the start of other banks running into that issue. Um, so really, the important thing to know about uh, SVB Bank is that uh, it dealt with a lot of startups and tech companies in Silicon Valley. And so they were both depositors at the bank, but they're also where the bank did a lot of lending. And what was happening was, you know, as interest rates were rising, some of these tech companies were not cash flow positive or struggling a little bit. They were needing more cash to operate their business. So they were pulling out deposits and some of the loans that the bank had made uh, to some of these tech companies were not, were getting uh, written down a little bit. And then the other element, and this is the piece is very interesting. And this is what we talk about when the Federal Reserve starts raising interest rates, that things break. And, you know, it's kind of a broad term. You know, like, well, I don't know what, what it is and how it breaks, but this is a perfect example of how things break. So as the Federal Reserve has raised rates, this bank had a number of long data maturities. So treasuries that, you know, were 10, 20, 30 years of maturity. 
And we've talked about this. As rates rise, the value of a bond declines. And, you know, the longer the maturity, the greater the decline that you're going to see. So this bank had these long dated maturities. So the value of these securities, they're going to get paid out if they hold them to maturity, but they're very long dated. So the decline in the price was quite dramatic. And so it, with that happening and with deposits going out, they had to sell some of these bonds and they made the statement on Wednesday that they had to raise additional cash uh, to shore up their balance sheet. And in doing that right away, you know, that that news, along with a number of other um, issues with uh, and, and the uh, cryptocurrency, just everybody started pulling money out of the bank. And so, you know, I think as we talked about this, Paula, before the show, you know, there are some things to be aware of with this situation. Um, and in general, banks are very well, uh, their balance sheets are very strong. And after 08, 09, there's a lot of tests that they're put through by the Federal Reserve. But it doesn't mean that some smaller regional banks can't be in, in, in trouble. And by all means, if you've got money at a bank uh, and it's, you know, a smaller bank, you want to make sure that it is below the $250,000 per uh that per person, basically. So if you have an account, it could be in your name. If your wife, a spouse has one in her name, both those accounts can be up to $250,000. That has the FDIC insurance. Any dollars over that are, are not necessarily insured. And that's the big question that's going to be coming out tomorrow is, you know, anything that was $250,000 below will be insured by the FDIC. People will be able to get their money. But for those amounts over that, how much are you going to be able to get on that? And that's the, the unknown element, whether another bank steps in and buys basically the assets and, and you know insures everything, or if the FDIC comes in and provides some element of backstop on those assets and to what level. That, that's the big unknown. And certainly if a lot of those uninsured assets are not covered, well, those are assets that were going to be used for payroll and different things. And so... Uh, you know, this is how we'll have to see how this plays out. But I think the big element uh, is just making sure that if you have money in a bank, that it's within the FDIC uh, insured limits. What do you think, Paulo? Yeah, I mean, you hit all the major points, Marty. You know, as, as the Fed raises rates, we knew that, you know, growth areas of the, of the economy were going to get, you know, hit pretty hard. And, you know, that was definitely technology and specifically startups and, when we look at SVB's main, you know, kind of lending, you know, avenues, it, it's been tech startups. So it's not surprising that their balance sheet got hit pretty significantly. And, you know, the, the record outflows really put a lot of stress on the bank. I would say history shows that somebody will probably come in and buy up those assets. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, it's something for, you know, other banks to, to make sure that their balance sheets are, are in order and making sure that, they have the right liquidity in place. And I think we're going to see a lot of banks come out in the next few weeks and state how much liquidity they have to really uh, ease a lot of concerns for, for customers. Yep. Well, folks, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue our discussion and we take your questions. You're listening to Let's Talk Money, brought to you by Boucher Finance Group, where we help our clients prioritize their health while we manage their wealth for life. Welcome back, everyone. For those of you just joining us, my name is Martin Shields. I'm the Chief Wealth Advisor at Boucher Financial Group, and I'm your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm sitting here with my colleague, Steve Boucher, 
And I have with me my other colleague, Paolo LaPietro, who is a wealth advisor and our portfolio strategist and a CFP at our firm. Paolo, it's great to be here with you for the second half of the show. We have a lot to discuss. We were talking about the market performance for the year, which is still positive, but down quite a bit uh, with the S&P only up a half a percentage point and the NASDAQ 100 up um, about eight and a half percent. And we're talking about some of the things that were moving that. So we had the federal, uh, Jay Powell, federal chair, uh, his comments on Wednesday. We had SVB, the bank in California, getting taken over by the FTC. We talked about the labor numbers coming out that were quite strong, uh, better than expected. And we're kind of in this world of good news is bad news type of thing. Uh, but, you know, with that, uh, you also had some wage growth that was still there, but it is down uh, from where it was last month. So that that kind of is a good thing, right? So, you know, with the Federal Reserve, the, the Federal Reserve doesn't necessarily mind seeing uh, economic growth, although when it's as strong and robust as it is, it concerns them a little bit. But definitely, you know, they got to see inflation trending down. And, uh, you know, it is hard to have inflation moving down when you've got a labor market as robust as we're seeing right now. We're going to go to the phone lines. We have uh, Robert from Rexford. How you doing, Robert? Good morning. Uh, I uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to ask you a question. Great. Well, it's great uh, to have you ask one. I would like to get your take on whether you, this financial SVB, Silicon Valley Bank crisis uh, could affect the market uh, in general. The market has enough. The market has enough uh, headwinds in order to to keep it on the downtrend, to keep the market heading downwards. Uh, I'm wondering if the if you think that this crisis could affect the financial sector only or the market in general. Great question. Great question. I'll, I'll provide thoughts and I'll, I'll hand it over to Paolo as well. I think the big thing we have to see with this is, is this contained to just the one bank? Is it just SVB that is having these issues or does it start to ripple uh, into other banks? And, you know, that that's the unknown element. And that's the, the challenge with this a little bit is you really got to dig into these balance sheets to see where they stand as far as, you know, deposits and what type of assets, uh, you know, they these some of these regional banks have. And if there's a problem with that, uh, you know, I think the other question is, you know, how does the Federal Reserve respond to this? As we discussed, you know, they probably are not going to raise uh, the federal funds rate by 50 basis points, which was kind of expected, perhaps, after Jay Powell's testimony, but probably more in a quarter percentage point. And if there is more of a problem, they may pause. They may even pause. Right. This could change things. So, you know, I think it's it's difficult to say right now. I mean, certainly, you know, when we talk about the Federal Reserve raising rates and breaking things, you don't know what that is, right? I mean, nobody knew what this bank was, who this bank was, unless you were in the West Coast. So, you know, there is the possibility that it flows through from a contagion perspective if, you know, other banks start to have trouble. But if it can be contained to uh, this one bank, and I think the other thing that's very important is what does the FDIC do with the uninsured assets? So there's about $120 billion in uninsured assets. Uh, if another bank either comes in and, and buys the bank or basically takes it over uh, and or if the FDIC backstops that, I think it changes the risk profile 
uh, for just that bank and other banks going forward. So I think, you know, them doing that kind of shores up the market a little bit more. If they don't and they, and there's not a buyer that comes in for those 120 billion, it makes, uh, you know, if you have any assets that are uninsured in another bank that's, that you're concerned about at all, uh, it makes it a little bit more iffy. So we'll have to see what they do with that. Paula, what, anything else that you want to add to that? Yeah, Robert, I, it, it's a great question. What I would say is financials as the sector will probably be pretty choppy for the next week or so, as there is some uncertainty currently in, in the financial sector, right? We, we want to make sure, as Marty pointed out, that this is an isolated event. I think we're going to see uh, a good amount of banks come out in the next few weeks, kind of show their cards or their balance sheets, show that they have ample liquidity uh, to really make sure that their customers and their clients are set at ease. Uh, as far as overall markets, it potentially could be a positive. You know, again, as Marty pointed out, this this could be a situation where the Fed starts to ease up on the gas pedal of, of interest rates. Again, we still have some room to go. But, you know, to the point of how much does the Fed have to raise rates until, you know, we really get the slowdown where we're starting to see the fundamental cracks with, with SVB. So there could be an element of Fed, the Fed starting to back off on interest rates at the second half of this year. And that could be an overall positive for the economy. I thank you very much. I, I uh, appreciate your insight. You got it, Robert. Thank you for thank your you, question. Robert. We're going to stay in the phone lines. We have uh, Dave, who is in his car. I hope he's safe driving with a hands-free. Uh, Dave, are you there? Yes, sir. Thank you for your service. I have a question, then I'll hang up if you don't mind. Okay. Generally speaking, I have a uh, defined pension. In three years, I will be retiring. What do you recommend your, your clients to do? First, withdraw from their 457s and hold off on the Roth IRAs and IRAs till age 70. Thank you again. Okay, great. So let's see here. So I think we've got a pension in the mix, uh, maybe a 457, and then I heard a Roth and a 401k. So let's kind of put those all together. Uh, if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. Um, so, you know, if you're going to retire, you have a defined benefit pension. Uh, obviously, you're going to be taking that uh, right up front. Um, you know, with New York State, you get $20,000 of either pension income or uh, IRA distributions that you don't pay taxes on. Uh, now, if it's a New York State pension, you don't pay taxes on any of that. But if it's a private pension, then that's how it sets up with the $20,000 exclusion. So you have that. Um, you know, a 457 plan, uh, if it is a 457 plan with the state, you can roll that into your IRA. Uh, if it's a 457 plan with a nonprofit, uh, like a hospital or something, you cannot roll that into a, an IRA. You have to set it up for distributions. So what I would recommend is probably taking that uh, first. Uh, so spread that over 10 years, or it depends on how much you have in that. If you have a sizable amount, spread it out over 10 years. Uh, that is gonna be taxed at ordinary income. You know, the Roth IRAs, really, you want to leave those to the end uh, or, you know, of your life or whatever, because they grow tax-free. And there are no required minimum distributions with Roth IRAs right now. So really, in general, we try to hold off on taking any distributions from those until the latter part of somebody's financial plan. And then, you know, with the IRA, 
you know, if you've got the 457 plan, you got the pension plan, you know, if you can delay taking your your IRA until you turn 73 when you have required minimum distribution, you might want to do that. But at the same time, depending on the size of the IRA, sometimes it can be beneficial to take that a little bit earlier because, you, you know, really what you want to make sure is if you delay and it grows to be too large, it can impact your Medicare premiums. Uh, it's under uh, the acronym IRMA. And that's depending on what your income is, it can impact what your Medicare premiums are. So sometimes we do have uh, our clients take their uh, some of the distributions from their IRA to kind of spread those out and that the IRA doesn't grow too big. Uh, and then from a taxable account, if you have one, uh, you know, that can be something that you also kind of put in the mix as well. The only thing to remember, though, is that with a taxable account, uh, if you have heirs, you know, it used to be that if you uh, non-spouse, so, you know, let's say kids, if they were to inherit uh, an IRA, whether it be a Roth or traditional IRA, uh, they would have to take required minimum distributions from those accounts, but they could stretch it out for their lifetime. So it was a really, it was a stretch IRA. It would take, you know, potentially decades for all that money to come out. But now uh, under the new rules, uh, it has to be distributed within 10 years. Uh, so it's not as advantageous, especially it's less so with Roth money because there's no taxes on it. Uh, but with a traditional IRA, if you've got a million dollar IRA and you know it only goes to one or two uh, kids, you're going to have a pretty sizable tax bill. Whereas with a taxable account, uh, under the current rules, if that gets transferred to, uh, to your kids, let's say, they're going to get a full step up in cost basis uh, for those positions. So it, it's very advantageous uh, for from a uh, inheritance estate planning perspective because all those gains in that uh, taxable account they go away. There is no tax consequence uh, to transfer to those to non-spousal heirs. So again, you know, really what you're looking at as far as order of distributions, uh, probably a 457 plan first, a combination of an IRA and uh, potentially a taxable account. And then finally, the Roth uh, being last. Paulo, anything that I missed there? Any thoughts you want to share? No, I'm, I'm of the same thought process. As always, it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis. You know, I would also recommend using the pre-tax assets first, so the 457 or the IRAs that would be ordinary income, but then being cognizant to make sure you're not pushing yourself up past the next applicable tax bracket. So want to do some tax planning making sure you know exactly where you are on the federal scale. And then, you know, have the taxable account in, in the Roth IRA as some dry powder. As we all know, one-off expenses come up during retirement. And, you know, if you need to take a large distribution, it's good to be taking it out of the Roth IRA. Therefore, that large distribution <clears throat> isn't going to be pushing you up into the next higher tax bracket. You're not going to have to worry about the IRMA, like uh, Marty said, you know, higher Medicare premiums. So it's good to have, you know, diversified portfolio of different tax assets, which it seems like you do. So that uh, that's great. I would, to Mark's point, though, use pre-tax assets at first, use taxable and Roth IRA assets for those big one-off distributions as they come up during retirement. That's a great point. And it's, you know, when we talk about our clients from a retirement planning perspective, there's two elements I want to highlight. One is we put an inflation factor in all spending uh, levels. So what we assume is that 
annually, our client spending will go up around 3.25%, which is the historic average uh, for inflation over the last 75 years. Now, that doesn't mean that their actual spending is going to go up like that, but it does give you them this level of cushion that, uh, you know, as we see, let's say years like this year or last year, that they're able to take more out from the plan. The other thing it does is without a doubt, even when you plan your budget and you have everything set up properly, you still have situations where um, you're going to need one-time uh, distributions. And to take it out of a, a Roth or a taxable account is the way to do it. Because if you try to take it out of an IRA, traditional IRA, you start doing the math on it when you cover taxes, it gets to be very expensive from a tax perspective. So that's a great point, Paolo. The other thing is, you know, really, you know, with our clients where they take distributions, we carve out two years with the distributions uh, to be able to cover those distributions, even in times of volatility like this. And that's important as you start to think about, hey, how, what, how are those assets going to come out? And how are you going to have your portfolio, if you're not working with a, a firm like ours, how are you going to have it set up to be able to provide those distributions? Uh, and it's just very important to make sure that you have it managed properly. And for our clients, you know, when there's times of volatility, they're not concerned because we have those two years uh, set aside. We're going to go back to the phone lines. We have Carrie from Niskayuna. Carrie, are you there? Yes. Hi, Martin. How are you? It's so good, good how to are you listen doing? to you guys every morning. And I got to tell you, I was glad I was there for the last question because that was a good one as I'm approaching retirement years. Yeah, so, that, I, that's what I say. You, that gentleman did you a favor, right? He asked a great question. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> yeah. What can I help you so with? My question today is, and it falls under no dumb questions, but so I'm a little, I think this might fall under those. I'm not sure. Okay. What's a 403B? Can I have more than one or more so, and more importantly, how can I transfer one to another while I'm still working? Okay, great. Now, this is a very good question. So this, what I'm going to give you guidance on applies to 403Bs and 401Ks, right? So uh, in general, you can really only have one. Um, there can be situations where you have two, but you're going to run into contribution if you're working two different jobs. You could potentially have two, but you're, you're going to run into the same uh, limits is in total, uh, whether you have one or two, uh, and that those limits are, are per individual. Uh, Paula, help me out here. They, is it 22500 and then 6500 uh this year for 2023? Does that sound right? You still got it, Marty. That's spot oh. on. Okay, good, good. So those are the those. If you're 50 and older, you got the catch-up amount of 6,500. Otherwise, it's 22,500. Uh, and again, whether you have one 401k, one 403b, that's the limit. Now you can roll uh, a 401k or 403b either into an IRA at any point, or you can roll it into another 401k 403b plan, as long as that plan uh, allows rollovers. So it depends on the plan okay. document. So you have to check if you have an old plan, uh, you got to check with your new plan to make sure uh, it, it can receive it. What I would tell you, Carrie, is really what you're better off doing is probably opening up an IRA, whether it's at Charles Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity, because here's the thing is everybody, pretty much everybody is going to have, you know, a, a, probably an IRA, a Roth IRA, and let's say a taxable account at some point. And you might as well take those assets and roll it into an IRA at Schwab or, or Vanguard Buy just a, you know, you, you can buy what's called a lifestyle fund that, you know, let's say it's an 80-20 allocation that has low cost index funds at any of these uh, custodians. Because the thing is, 
you know, you when you move that into your new plan, even if you're working for a big company, there are expenses that exist with those plans that you'd rather not pay. Like you're okay paying those fees for administration, for record keeping, for custodial cost, because it allows you to, to contribute to the plan. But in your case, if these are old 403B plans, you'd rather just consolidate it in one IRA at one of those custodians. And that way, you know, you're not gonna pay those additional fees. Uh, and that's what I would give guidance to. You know, the only thing I always tell people is, if you're gonna do that, you have to have a plan. And the plan could be as simple as saying, okay, I'm gonna go to Schwab, I'm gonna put in an IRA, and I'm gonna buy their, you know, 80-20 lifestyle fund. And that's, that's it. And you know what? It probably will work very well for you. Okay, thank you so much. You're, you're welcome, Carrie. Thank you for your question. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talk about this, uh, you know, we, we see this sometimes with prospective clients that come in and they have this plethora of accounts from, uh, you know, different jobs they worked at and they started this account here and they started it there. And, you know, you really have to consolidate those to get a good grasp as to where you stand with your financial picture. So I would really encourage you to, you know, take the time. This is where working with a firm like, Ours, we handle this. Our client service team is amazing. Getting that all together, getting the transfer transfers to happen, because it's hard to say, hey, how are you doing from a, an investment perspective if you have got six different IRAs or, you know, all these old 401k plans? And as I mentioned, oh by the way, those 401k plans where you're not even working anymore, you're paying for fees that help all the people who are still working there. So you know, you're really doing yourself a favor by consolidating these accounts you know, getting them all at one financial custodian. And that way, when you're looking at how you allocate it, how's your investment performance, you're only looking at one IRA, right? Or one Roth IRA. And then when you do a financial plan, well, it's all together. So it's gonna make it a lot easier uh, to go that route. Well, folks, we have a few more minutes left and we got some more thoughts to share with you. But if you have any questions, give us a call. You can reach us at 800-825-5949. That's 800-825-5949. One of the things I wanna highlight before uh, our hour is up is uh, this week we had International Women's Day. And, you know, we've talked about this, uh, you know, in our industry, there's there's actually not that many women advisors, but our firm is fortunate. Uh, we, you know, we now have a great staff of, of male and female advisors, and that's important. That That's really, it changes the dynamic, obviously in, uh, a company when you have that, and it changes the dynamic uh, in client meetings. Uh, and you know, to you know, to have International Women's Day not only important here in the U.S. Uh, you know, when we're talking about uh, you know making sure that from a women's rights perspective that uh, you know that it's where it's supposed to be, right? Uh, you know, you had the whole Me Too moment and everything. And I have two daughters, uh, you know, and I think about them going into. Uh, a career perhaps in business. And, you know, in all these areas, you want them to have uh, the same opportunities that I have. But you think about it, it's International Women's Day. And, you know, without a doubt, what we have here in the U.S. is special. And it doesn't mean that there aren't areas for improvement uh, with women's rights and everything. But when you look at it from an international perspective and some of the challenges that exist in these countries, uh, it is, it's really, it's heartbreaking. And you know, you think about Afghanistan and other countries, and so to have this day that highlights trying to have, uh, especially internationally, 
uh, that change. Uh, it's it's very important. And uh, our our we have a blog that was written. If you go to our website, Boucher.com, where all our female colleagues share their thoughts of working in finance. And they did a great job uh, and just feel really fortunate uh, in our firm that uh, we make this uh, an important area and, and highlight it. Um, the other thing I want to highlight where we have last few minutes uh, in, on the blog section uh, is, uh, is one of the blogs that I, I wrote on HSAs. And we've talked about this before, in health savings account and HSA, it really is one of the best types of accounts you can have and use uh, that has the best tax treatment for those dollars. So an HSA is basically an account that you put money in to use for qualified medical expenses. Uh, you have to be enrolled in a high deductible health plan to do it. Uh, but the, the value of that is if your health insurance expenses uh, are not that high, the high deductible plan could be a great route for you because you may not have a lot of expenses that you need more of a Cadillac or premium type of health plan. And then the other element with this is you can put those dollars in, you can put them in tax free. So you don't pay any money uh, on those contributions for an individual for 2023. You can put three thousand eight hundred fifty dollars uh, for an individual for a family. You can contribute seven thousand seven hundred fifty dollars. And if you're 55 and older, you can do another $1,000 annually. So you can put in a decent amount into those plans. You can use them for uh, medical expenses in the year that they're, uh, they occur. But if you don't use all those dollars, unlike an FSA, which is a flexible spending account, where you've got to use those dollars within the year, an HSA, those dollars can roll over to any years. And then what you can also do is you can invest those dollars in a market, right? So, you know, most banks have a, a, a brokerage account that you can connect to your HSA account, and those dollars can be invested. So they can grow, they can be used for uh, healthcare expenses when you retire. And so you think about it. So in HSA, you not only do you not pay any taxes to, for it to go in, you don't pay FICA taxes as well, which with a 401k, when you put money into a 401k, you do pay FICA taxes on those contributions. You don't with an HSA. So you avoid FICA, you avoid state and federal taxes. It grows tax-free. And if it's used for qualified medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. So it is really, when you look at it from a preferential tax preferential uh, perspective, it's the best account that's out there. Um, and the thing to remember with this though, is it cannot be used for, in most cases, it cannot be used for healthcare premiums. It can be used for long-term care, premiums, but it really cannot be used for healthcare premiums. Uh, if you're 65 and older, you can actually take those dollars out. And now you'll pay, if it's not from qualified medical expenses, you'll pay ordinary income on that, but that's about it. Folks, we've just went up through a whole hour. It's been great to be here with you and come back and join us next week. You're listening to Let's Talk Money, brought to you by Boucher Financial Group, where we help our clients prioritize their health while we manage their wealth for life. Take care of each other, folks, and have a great day.